Welcome to a new wave of entrepreneurship by Venture for Canada. Venture for Canada is a national charity on a mission to foster the entrepreneurial skills and mindsets of young Canadians. Our vision is a Canada where young people can equitably realize their entrepreneurial potential to help build one of the most prosperous entrepreneurial ecosystems in the world. Meet Ruben Ashar, CEO of Never Napping. This episode delves into Ruben's diverse career, transitioning from law to becoming a key player in the YouTube and influencer sphere. Gain insider insights into what it takes to be a successful talent manager in the ever-evolving landscape of social media. Learn about the challenges and triumphs of managing top YouTubers and influencers, understanding their unique needs, and crafting strategies that resonate with a digital-first audience. Ruben shares invaluable tips for aspiring influencers and content creators on how to build a compelling online presence, make impactful content, and harness the power of digital platforms. Whether you're a budding YouTuber, an aspiring influencer, or simply fascinated by the mechanics of digital fame, this episode is a treasure trove of practical wisdom and industry secrets. Ruben, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So Ruben, to get things kicked off, can you describe at a high level, what's your career journey been like to date? What's your transition been to become a, a talent manager? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. So started off as many people where they are young and they say like, oh, I, I like to think and argue and read and I'll be a lawyer. I'll go to law school. You know, they watch suits, whatever, whatever, go to law school. After an artsy education, I studied art history and peace and public studies. And then I went to McGill Law School and focused on IP in my final year. Because I think that's another sort of issue with education. You and I have talked about this before, where you don't really know. You kind of just, it's more deterministic, you know, the less free will and agency. It's kind of like, oh, I don't know. And at the end of McGill, basically IP kind of fell into my lap. It was, I wanted to do a research paper and I had this amazing mentor and I dove into like music sampling and I wrote about music sampling. So that's something that interested me. I was like, oh, you know, who's an author? How do you chop things up? Which obviously is very germane to today's conversations about AI and like generative stuff. And there are a lot of parallels. The law always changes. And then I ended up doing more law school. Like I did a master's of law at U of T and I focused a lot on IP as well. And then in the course of that, I was kind of talking about Justin Bieber and his discovery and like Sean Mendez and different things that are kind of like go from being on the ground level. Like Justin Bieber was performing for in the YMCA. That was a YouTube video posted by his mom for his aunt to see who couldn't be there. Like that was, that was like the, the root of Justin Bieber getting discovered by Scooter Braun. So it's kind of funny because Scooter Braun was looking up like, Chris Brown stuff, or, you know, it's just so funny how the internet ends up working. And, uh, and I realized YouTube was kind of in the mix. So I did, I started with technology, like doing a bit of tech stuff. So a couple of like Y Combinator startups and other things that I started kind of advising. And I got equity in a few of them, like sweat equity. I was kind of thinking about tech. And then I was doing some film stuff. And then, but those were both really complicated, as you know, better than anybody. And so now I do have a tech component to my life, which is Dark Matter Ventures, which is kind of my advisory arm, where I advise startups and things. But the majority of my path until now has been representing and advocating for digital creators. Which, 
Who are some of the digital creators that you currently work with? So I think basically it's funny because even the nomenclature has really changed over the past couple of years. You know, when I started, the word was YouTuber. And at that time, you know, Google kind of became a company around like 2005-ish, whatever, 2007, 2008, there's an acquisition by Google for for YouTube, you know. And streaming and all these things have really changed our opinions of like short form, long form, blah, blah, blah. But essentially I have a mix of talent. And one interesting person who you, you're friends with her brother actually, with, uh, with Brady, is Molly Burke, where she's blind. And, you know, I met her when she had about, well, actually I know the exact number. She had 16,000 subscribers when I met her on YouTube. But she was doing public speaking. Like that was a lot of her, her shtick. And now, you know, she has about 5 million followers across the board. And we do really interesting stuff. So she's a face of LinkedIn, for example, um, where she's like a global face of LinkedIn. She's a global face of Bose. And she gets to talk about interesting stuff. So, you know, with Bose, it's not just about music. It's also about accessibility, speech, things like that. With LinkedIn, it's about expressing yourself, your voice, empowerment, things like that. And then taking it outside of just like YouTube, because that's, I think that's a really interesting thing to think about now is, um, you know, every single day this industry changes. So TikTok canceled their creator fund yesterday. As of the data is recording, it's a huge announcement. It's a big, big deal. And part of it is like, if you think about Disney and YouTube and different companies, the incentive structure of how you get content made, who wants it, who's willing to pay for it is always like an equation I'm thinking about. So, so with Molly right now, we're, we're writing a book. So we have a book agent that we've teamed up with because you mentioned the Ari Gold equation. So it's like, I wouldn't compare myself to E because he's the manager in that equation. He's like old friends with Vince. Like they grew up in Queens and then they go to LA and then they team up with Ari Emanuel type character. Today, Endeavor's in the news. Endeavor being the parent company that Ari Emanuel works with. They're agents. So I'm a manager. So some of the other people I work with are like Timothy Goodman. We just got an opportunity yesterday, which is really fun, where he's going to be at the, the, you know, doing this interviewing a documentarian about a Kennedy series. So it's like all these journalists and everything. And it's at the Paley Center for Journalism. You know, so opportunities like that, and like Conan O'Brien's part of it, different interesting figures. So really the the so I have artists, I have a surfer, I have different kinds of personalities. And, uh, and it's really fun. So I have a creator who does augmented reality stuff. And he does, um, he just did Eric Adams giving Diddy the key to New York. He made this interactive billboard thing there. And this, so it's just kind of all over the place. But my motto for my company is influence with purpose. And that's kind of what I'm, what I'm doing. So one some of my newest creators, one was a teacher and she quit during COVID because she gained 80,000 subscribers. She has 6 million followers. She has billions of views since COVID. And wow. yeah. And so a lot of it is like, I forget what the, the root of your question was, but they're a diverse crew. I'm very high touch. So I'm thinking about everything. Like I'm like, what's going on with Disney? What's going on with the Hulu acquisition? And then at the other breath, I'm thinking about the ideas for a video. And, it's all over the place. What do you look for in a digital creator, influencer, YouTuber, whatever the, the current kind of nomenclature is? Uh, yeah. When uh, they're like pitching 
uh, to become like a client or you're considering, I can imagine there's probably a lot of folks that are like up and coming who might say, hey, will you represent me? And yeah. there's a degree of you kind of picking and choosing. So what's kind of criteria that you look for in an, an up and coming kind of person? I can imagine if someone comes to you and they're like, I have a 10 million person audience. I want you to be a manager. It's maybe a little bit of a different situation, but well, in any case, yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I actually, I turned down working with somebody with 50 million followers this year across platforms. So it's actually like the number of followers is one component, but it's, there's no free lunch, as we like to say, you know, in my company, it's like, everything comes with a cost. And I look at like, the two words I use are potential and coachability. So like being coachable is huge. So if you think about if you, if you had a camera in front of you all day and everything was like the Scott show, you'd probably be like, there'd be an element of like narcissism or megalomania or egocentrism or whatever it is. But it's also married with like a self-doubt, like a debilitating self-doubt. And I think every entertainer is on that cusp because you're always dealing with the outside world, right? Like imagine you're Anne Hathaway and you hear insulting things at certain moments, at certain moments, you're adulatory things. So. I looked, my old test was like, would they pre Ellen's cancellation was like, would Ellen want to both have them on and have lunch with them? It was like one of my tests, you know, like personality wise. And in terms of their content, I was less driven by data and metrics as I am into like, are they amazing? Like, could they be a face of something? What, what motivated you to turn down the person who had the 50 million plus uh, platform? So I think one thing that I really look at is, the question of like, what are you excited to do? You know, so it's like, what are your goals? And that will kind of tell you a lot about a person. So if their main goals are like just money for the sake of money and like fame and celebrities, that's, that's less interesting than somebody who has a mission. So I think in the instance of that, of that situation, a lot of it was not very strategic. And they weren't receptive to my notes out of the gate. Like I was, I, I said, I think you should lean in here. I think this would be difficult. I think you need to work on this here. And for example, I'll give you another example. Somebody reached out to me recently and they're like, oh my God, I really want you to rep me. Da-da-da. And then I said, um, you, you have a lot of potential, but I'm curious how much right now your face and your name and your personality aren't showing in anything but one video. And I, and I, I showed that I saw that one video and I said, what's your plan for integrating more of your name and your personality and your face or your voice or in some way into your content? Because this person was doing educational stuff and I thought it would work much better for their future. And they just didn't respond back to me. So I, I'd rather ask questions. And there's also a generation of like short form creators or TikTokers and how they think about long form, what they want to talk about, who they are is really seminal to like their prospects for a successful future. Because in the beginning, Charlie D'Amelio, you know, from day one, we knew Charlie and I've collaborated with Charlie and I really like the D'Amelio family. And, but they started with dancing, but it couldn't have just, Charlie can't just dance when there's Alex Cooper type personalities or Amelia Chicken Shop or, you know, Bobby Altoff with like her interviews. You have to have a personality and a something, I think, to succeed. What do you think are some of the most common 
mistakes that digital creators uh, make, uh, let's say in particular, once they've built out a large platform? So I think one, a great one that kind of goes that dovetails into the last conversation is sticking to a formula. So just sticking to a formula because, for example, like um, Hot Ones, you know that format Hot Ones on Complex? Oh, it's just an interview show that this guy, Sean, does. He's got a shaved head. Anyway, um, so not innovating is dangerous. You know, if you think about like the Beatles changed their look a lot of time, Bob Dylan, you know, yeah. different, different, different personalities. I think you need to like evolve and change your act. So one thing that they do is just stick to a current thing. So if it's working, keep doing it. If it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But they don't realize that like Marshall McLuhan type ideology of medium being the message, being whatever. I don't think this type of consumption device is going to be the future. A little box. I once listened to an interview with Mark uh, and uh, uh, Andreessen yeah. where he talked about this line. He he took that Marshall McLuhan, like the medium is the message. And he said, um, the, the medium of... Uh, 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 it was some line where basically it's just like we used to read um, the the internet used to be a main tool. ChatGPT uh, is like the new tool, but ChatGPT is influenced by the medium of the previous uh, sort of structure. So what I mean by that is that like ChatGPT, the interface is set up like that of the the internet, kind of et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I, I guess uh, uh, this is a, maybe somewhat of of a tangent, but how do you think? How can how can digital creators adapt their kind of content, their strategy to reflect the constantly changing nature of the mediums and the fact that like you know ten years ago Facebook was king and now it's yeah. uh, the boomer uh, social network. So uh, yeah, how can that, that's exactly right. No, no, you're on. You're really onto something there. So basically, I like people who are agnostic to a platform. So what I mean by that is I once went to New York City, I mean, it's Refinery29, and they're like, we're doing so well that we've gotten the, we've taken the lease out on the five floors above us as well. And we're building dedicated rooms to do flat lay photographs of food for our food channels. So they're building studios to accommodate for a particular format that was working on one particular platform. But that was that was just so dedicated to where it, where it was right then. And with Facebook, like Diply, for example, was a Canadian company, and Diply was just making content for the Facebook funnel. But they weren't thinking about YouTube. They weren't thinking about Netflix. They weren't thinking about linear TV like regular TV. They weren't thinking about experiential or other things. So I think I think in general. If you think about Conan, for example, like he has a podcast that's very successful now and he really enjoys doing it. And there would have been naysayers at a certain points, but now he, he also is thinking about his live shows and creating a production company like for, you know, his assistant Sona has her own show and things like that. So it's kind of evolving, not being a one trick pony, I think is really important. I've heard some people talk about just the importance of email, like an email list, because any social following you have can be like taken away by an algorithm where you can get like, <laughs> if you're like risky, you like banned from it. Um, do you think yeah. that like, own, like in essence, owning a high value email list is one of the most like valuable things you can have as a creator? I mean, everyone has their own sort of like 
prism into success, you know? So you probably, yeah, as, as do I, I know a lot of people are like sales, you know, funnel gurus who really know about like pumping out and making money in sports cars and stuff. I personally think that you build the brand of a person and then other platforms will come. So if somebody's good and they have a good voice, like they're a Conan, they could go to LinkedIn tomorrow and build an audience. And that's what I believe in more. I don't believe in like stranglehold on some people. So obviously like with companies like Patreon and Cameo and Twitch and Discord and blah, 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 like any intermediary. So I've heard every, I've met with every crypto diaper, every DAO person, everyone, yada, yada. And like emails, I hate emails. So if a company emails me, I'm very likely to like unsubscribe. So I actually don't subscribe to that. There's also community, remember, which is Ashton Kutcher back company. So that was the phone number one where you'd get updates from the person like, text me. Like, do you remember that phase in time? So it was like in the past couple of years, but here's my phone number, text me. So it'd be Joe Rogan or whomever. And then we were like, oh, but it must be legitimate. Scarlett Johansson does it or whomever. Not Scarlett, but you know. But no, I don't, who wants text? So it could be that in a certain moment in time, people want to be followed up with. But also the skim, like I knew the skim team, remember it was like kind of a newsletter for millennial women. And so it'd be like, oh, but every day. So internet open rates, email open rates and blah, blah, blah. There are experts, there's merit to it. That's not kind of my business. I don't, I don't believe in that. But what do you think? What do you think about that? Or what, what were your instincts? I'm curious. I honestly don't know. I think to your point, it does probably depend on the person. Uh, but one thing I would like to double click on, uh, and this might be a little bit more of a contrarian question, is you talked about like the people as brands, right? Like the, the brand of a creator. And I think one of the things that came to my mind when you said the term like, oh, the, this person's brand, uh, which is a term I hear a lot in like the, even yes. like beyond your work with like the career development spaces. I'm like, is, I was like, is it okay to refer to someone as a brand? Is it dehumanizing? Does it uh, is it, you know, some people would critique the neoliberal like aspect, like of our era of kind of equating, you know, like a people with a, with a brand. Uh, and I'm thinking even a little bit of Andy Warhol's, you know, yeah. like every person is, is kind of a brand. Um, I guess, how do you think creators, uh, or yeah, digital influencers, you know, uh, whatever, um, balance that like being a brand, but also being like a person? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'll triple down on my brand thing for people. You know, as you talk about Andy Warhol, what are some things that come to your mind? Hair, New York, Basquiat. You could you could go down the list of Andy Warhol type things. And so Campbell's soup is buttressed by him, right? Um, so Facebook, like Meta. Do you talk more about the name change to Meta or do you talk about Zuckerberg as a person? You know, and it's like, the fact that Zuckerberg stepped up more as a person, as like a personality, like he leaned in more. There was no Sheryl Sandberg to really advise that, but it's worked for him now. Like I bet public sentiment of Zuck would be like stronger today than it was before. And you can't think about X or Twitter without thinking about Elon. Yeah, so, and I... Oh, you go. No, 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 please. But Yeah. I think the thing that's interesting is that it's, it's what I hear from you there is that it's that leaning into being authentic, right? That I think in some ways 
it's like with Mark Zuckerberg, it seems like it's like let Zuckerberg be Zuckerberg. It kind of the approach of uh, of Meta or Facebook kind of currently. What I mean by that, in the sense, is that I think when Mark Zuckerberg, it feels like when he was most publicly lampooned, it was for being like a robot. It was for being cold. It was for being distant. And I think it seems like, at least in this public image, the last couple of years, is that yeah, he's a really tough guy. He's built this huge company. He's not like a softy, but. I, I- I would also say, I would say that a lot of the stuff he was posting before, like one of the most viral videos about Mark is like the meat cooking one. Everyone's like, that's dumb. He was also slaughtering animals at that time. I don't know if you're following this, but he was like, I'll only eat what I kill. And hilariously, that's not safe. That's not brand safe. So it would be blocked on Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp or not WhatsApp as much, but they just, they just blocked, I think, Andrew Tate on WhatsApp, which is a whole other conversation about the meta companies. But if you think about him as a person, what I'm saying is like with this fighting thing, they're like, oh, like he's actually doing it. He's actually hanging out with these fighters. He's building an octagon in his own backyard. And he's like showing a real humanness to it. And I think people are always into the Elon Musk, but like the sleeping on the floor, like here's what he sleeps on, da, da, da. And this home thing. So I think there really is something to that, like this fascination with like how celebrities actually live. And so brand wise, I think that People who get it wrong. So I'd say like, for example, like Justin Trudeau, it's like, what is your brand? You know, or for political leaders, we kind of think about it. With creators, like they often seem out of touch or unconnected from their audience. I think the biggest takeaway for me about the brand thing is like you can build a brand, but there has to be some resonance with with your captive audience, like your current audience and a future audience or like a potential audience. Those are the two boxes I think about. People who currently follow you, what do they think of your brand is? And sometimes it's ridiculous, like selling Sunset. A lot of people hate watch it. So if like somebody on that show told them, like if one of the characters, I was going to name a character, but if a character was like, use this sunscreen, would her audience buy the sunscreen? I'm not sure because I don't know if they see her that way as somebody they trust to make a product recommendation. She's like, this is the best restaurant in LA. Would you trust her? She's like, I love this linen, these sheets. Would you trust her? So that also goes to this thing of like, none of us actually know how well like influencer marketing works. Yeah. Christine from Selling Sunset, very trustworthy uh, character. For I, actually think, I actually think Christine was like, actually it would look like her clothes. Whereas on this season, you kind of don't trust like the things that they're wearing. It seems less them. Like with Christine, I really believe that she had taste in like the bags. Yeah. You know, like there's one episode this season where somebody's carrying like a Chanel basketball and rope. It's like, oh, I thought it was a bag. That's so funny. It's like, oh, it's my basketball. So it's this like insane luxury purchase. If she bought it, it's crazy. Because you know that those, those, those agents make very little money. Like have you seen the videos kind of, so, so basically people have gone through the sales records of the people on Selling Sunset and very few of them have made sales over the past couple of years. It's very, it's, it's pretty hilarious. I haven't vetted that, but. They, they just play uh, successful real estate agents. They don't actually. Well, and I mean, in the real estate market in LA, and this is part of like the difficulty of my job is that you also have to be mindful of stuff. So there's a new estate tax a new luxury tax, all these new taxes in LA about for houses over a certain price point that are really affecting the sales momentum. 
And then there's a strike, the actor's strike. And then there's the fact that like, you know, Disney and these companies are losing money. If you're like, wait, this is Bob Iger a genius? What's going on? Dave Zaslav changing HBO Max to just, or HBO to just Max, you know, and like the streaming thing, no one really understanding the value of entertainment. And against that backdrop, you have this short versus long form. You have advertiser challenges with respect to like global events, right? Advertisers slow down. So one of the hard things about my job is kind of like this crazy storm of inputs and trying to figure out how to make sense of it and develop a strategy. So when you talk about a brand, what I take solace in is like one thing you have control of is what your person is standing for, like to the world. Which is particularly important in a place that is uh, topsy-turvy. And, and in essence, uh, like the entire world, uh, digital creators are operating in a more of a VUCA environment, a place that is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, and where things can happen completely beyond their control that completely uh, upend things. So, But shifting to a little bit uh, back to the original topic, which is kind of what's involved in being a talent manager. And I think this conversation has been really helpful to frame some of like, what are the broader challenges the talent managers have to deal with? The, the uncertainty, the advising clients on how to, in essence, differentiate themselves in a really uh, crowded space, the importance of reinvention. Ruben, can you go into a little bit more detail? Like what does like a talent manager like actually like kind of do? Uh, so and what I mean by that is, I think that people have an idea of what talent yes. managers do, but walk through like, what do you do in like, like sure. a typical week? I could even look, I could even open up like my inbox because it could be like kind of instructive. So my emails, it's like, you know, we have a thing about some brand deals, some brand deals. Um, so Forbes, so Forbes surged into 30. One of my people's up for Forbes surged into 30. We're doing like a fact-checking thing on some money and other things like that right now. Um, we have one of my creators asking me about a partner manager at one of the platforms that they want to like, you know, get and they're talking about their strategy they just gained thirty thousand subscribers this month and some of their strategic questions and uh and then we're doing a project in um with like tau nightclubs we're doing this like thing for f1 right now with one of my people and so basically some of the stuff we're doing vidcon is here we're like talking about creators being there changing an instagram name for one of my creators getting a burner account back for another creator of mine um Doing, we're doing Metallica's whiskey brand. So, in the last talking to these uh, people about where to stay in New York, about what part of town the meetings will be in. So, it's kind of all over the place. So, with Forbes, it's like fact checking in a way, but talking about how to like talk about follower numbers and revenue and like which brands we should talk about. With, you know, some of these other relationships, it's about money. Some of the other ones, it's about like brand. Some of them are more ideological. And a lot of it is like deliverables is such a funny word because there's boosting and all these other things that are very like content platform specific, you know, like how you advertise and how something's portrayed. Some of it's about negotiating the money or the usage or the IP elements. And a lot of it sort of is existential and kind of like motivation and things like that. So you're almost like, if it's for a sports analogy or something, you're like the general manager 
and the, you know, motivator and the coach and the PR and, 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 you know, it's kind of very holistic. So on uh, Entourage, Ari Emanuel is the agent. Like he's the one going to the movie studio. He's trying to get the big thing. Sometimes he's like pushing back when like the talent wants to do an artsy movie or play or something. The manager is more like working for the talent, like trying to appease everyone, being nice to everyone. I'm more the trying to be nice to everyone. I'm the manager. I'm the one who's like fewer clients, like agents have 80 to 100 clients often. Managers usually like have between five and 20, let's say per manager, like within a management company, but they usually won't have more than 20 per person. And then some of them are just kind of doing like a lot of outbound, which is kind of like writing a lot of brands, you know? So if it was like doing a lot of pushing out, some of them are more reactive. Does that make sense? That that does make sense. And then is there also, would some of your clients have like a business manager? And what I mean by that is like somebody yeah. who like manages their finances, et cetera. I can talk about a bit of that Hollywood stuff. So in LA, it's common for successful people. So by successful, I mean, you're making a lot of money. Not that money's everything, but then you hire a business manager. A business manager takes 5% of your revenue and they do business stuff. What does business stuff mean? Your investments, like they help pick an investment strategy, whatever. When you buy, want to buy a house or a car, they get really involved. So like, they talk to the dealership. They like figure out where you should grab the money to pay for the car from. What kind of financing when you're buying a house, they like often come to viewings or things with you and they get 5% of your gross revenue. So that kind of job only makes sense if you're like a real person. So YouTube wise, it's funny because not very many YouTubers have a business manager. It's like more Hollywoody. Agents take 10% of your revenue. And they are the ones who have like 80 clients, whatever. They're like the endeavors that you talk about, whatever. So like the biggest agencies are CAA, which just got acquired by like the head of caring who's like selling the high ex-husband. Like he just bought the big majority stake there. You have Endeavor, which is that parent company of like Ari Emanuel that you just talked about, where it's like Silver Lake might come in, they might go private. So it's kind of a different thing. And like their earnings just came out today. And then you have UTA is another big one. And those are kind of the top three. Then with managers, they're doing this kind of holistic view. They sometimes work with agents, sometimes they don't. And then there's industry specific stuff. Like if you're a content creator who's a musician, you might have a booking agent for music shows. And like, that's another funny thing. Like podcasts are touring now. Comedians are touring, right? Like if you think about Andrew Schultz and all these famous comedians, the lines between podcast to video to like experiential or show are all blurring right now. So for like, so to, to recap those percentages, what for like a big uh, Hollywood star, what percent would kind of collectively end up going oh, to man. So it's, it's pretty, it gets really funny actually when you get into it. So big Hollywood stars pay 5% to their business manager, 10% to their agent. Their manager will take, it depends on the person, but it's between 10 and 30%. I know it sounds broad, but it really depends on what that manager is doing. 
And if they have a lawyer, the lawyer will take 5%. And so you did hear me right that it could be that somebody is paying more than 50% of their revenue. But in reality, like with the law and the manager and the business manager and everything else, it's like people like a Chris Kardashian is a good example of like, she does a lot for her family, like as the manager. Or like Scooter Braun is now like, you know, going through stuff. But he's an example of a manager who like does a lot. So when you have those kinds of managers, like there's a management company I won't name, but I'm close with. And they do very A-lister people. Um, and they used to work with a big agency, but they don't because they kind of do it in-house, which is more of the model that I do. So if you have like a Zendaya or you had a Sydney Sweeney, let's say your star's on Euphoria, right? You can either kind of like manage their career by yourself or you can get a different cast of characters to like pursue opportunities. Well, and to your point, even if you're a Hollywood star and you're paying 40, 50%, like at the end of the day, you are kind of like not to over commodify a person, but you are a business. Yeah. And yes. if you're running any kind of business, you're going to have overhead. And at a certain point, you kind of pay what you, you, you get what you pay for in the sense that you need to invest in the business and the people who support the growth of the business. Because initially I was thinking, wow, I had no idea that people are paying half of their income to all yeah. this like team. But to your point, it's in some ways a cost of being in the business. It's a cost. And also, obviously, the bigger someone gets. So if you think about it, everyone's going to structure it very differently. But did you watch the David Beckham documentary on Netflix? It's just pretty great. But one of the funny things is when he starts becoming popular, he gets a lot of opportunities to do brand deals. But his bosses who like for soccer don't want him to do that. They want him to focus on soccer. But he wants to focus on that other stuff, too. And one of the things is like, but when I don't play anymore, what's the value? So people like LeBron, James, and Steph Curry are very mindful of like the next phase. Roger Federer, instead of taking money from Nike at the end, or Uniqlo, he made his final deal. It was like on running where he got 2% of the company in equity. And then people like Snoop and Jay-Z and stuff, they also run record labels, clothing lines media companies they do partnership with tiffany they represent other artists right it's so like jay-z at one point had signed grimes who's like elon's you know whatever like former partner um who's a musician so they find different ways to make money spend money intelligently capture money capture it from other people get synergies so and that's why ryan reynolds is a good example of that right like what he has his own ad agency now he has this whiskey brand, he has the soccer club and things like that are happening. A lot of talent has their own, have their own production companies. So Beyonce has like a, a production company that makes her content. So they find a lot of interesting ways to capture revenue and to like allocate spending in like intelligent ways. Hearing from you, essentially it's that transition from making income off of your labor to eventually making income off of your capital or of, off of your businesses. Uh, and in some, for most of these cases, it seems like people, they're often still making income from both. But how can you end up building businesses uh, that generate income for you even when you're, uh, you're sleeping? One question uh, to dive into a little bit more about like what's involved in being a talent manager is like, what do you think are some of the skills that are most uh, needed to, to be successful uh, in this field? So I think, I think, 
number one, the number one skill, I wouldn't say the number one skill, but one dynamic that's really challenging is if you're like a people pleaser, not to use trite language, but you can't both appease your talent and the brand and the platform and win. You know, you can't be like representing a basketball player, let's say, and just being like nice to Pepsi and Coca-Cola. Like you have to kind of find one dance bar. You have to lose leverage. You have to be tough. You have to be pushy. So you have to be nice to some people, pushy to other people, learn to strike fear and respect. And you have to be really smart. You have to like get it. You have to get the equation. You have to understand the pushes and pulls and the dynamics. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Like when in the social network, let's say with um, Justin Timberlake's character, or you're playing Sean Parker and you're talking to Zuckerberg and they're kind of like, oh, should we be really nice to these venture people or should we be kind of smug? Or like, what's the balance? And it's kind of like a performance aspect of that, right? Where Zuckerberg's like wearing a sweat, sweat, suit, sweat suit or whatever. That, that's kind of part of the dance. It's like, do you want to be easy to work with and forfeit some money? Do you want to be an aggressive negotiator? Because a lot of it is like trying to, like a lot of these um, revenue is subjective. It's kind of like, what's we work worth? I don't know. You know, and it's like, it's almost, I'd say like Adam Newman was a good example of like a brand. Because like going back to that, it's a person, a brand. I'd say like that thing, that kind of performance, or Billie Eilish, what takes her from like a person to one day being a global superstar. Um, some of that's the singing, the album sales, yada, yada. But if you think about album sales or by the same token, somebody on, on the internet, the platform needs to believe in you. The Spotify, Spotify put Drake on every album cover during his like record releases in the past, even when he wasn't on the playlist. Because his brand was strong for Spotify. They saw halo effects or network effects from that. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a, uh, being a talent manager, it sounds like one of the skills that's most important is that ability to really work with other people, uh, to, uh, yeah. to be a tough negotiator, to deal with drama, <laughs> to uh, have calm under fire. You need a, a gut, like a strong gut because it's a very tenuous business and everything can go away. So it's like, you want to be on this podcast? That thing can be taken away. And one day you feel like you'll maybe invite on every podcast, like Dax Shepard and blah, blah, blah. The next day you feel like you have no podcast to go on to, you know? We, when we caught up a couple of months ago, uh, we talked a little bit about the show, The Other Two. And uh, in it, there's this scene, I think it's more with a talent agent than a talent yes. manager. But uh, the talent agent is just this horrible person. And uh, the show kind of, I would say, makes fun a lot of talent agents. Although uh, uh, Shooter or Scooter, actually I think Shooter, uh, he, he would be more of like a business manager, maybe a talent manager. Yeah, so he's Streeter, whatever his name is. Um, he's the manager. He's yes. the, he cares about the kid, right? And then Wanda Sykes, she plays like, the music agent. And then also they go for a meeting, like Carrie or Corey or whatever goes to a meeting at like a WME type company where the woman's like, I'm the best agent here. Ask anyone. I have 10,000 clients. So 10,000 is an exaggeration, but I've heard people insinuate they have hundreds of clients, which is kind of like crazy. And I know people who have three digits of clients, agents who have three digits of clients. But essentially like one thing that happens is like their assistants 
do a lot of their work, but it's like, oh, do you have someone in this category? And then they can just service the, the person who's asking the question. You know, so it'll be like beauty brand deals are like, I need someone Korean, this age, da-da-da, maybe they play music. And they're like, hey, who do I have who's Korean? Who's like a DJ or a singer? Here's five options. So to the point about the talent managers, what do you think differentiates the talent managers that are the top 1%, like the, the talent managers that add the most value with like a mediocre talent manager? So I think, and I think that show, obviously not to dive too deep into that show, but like the mom character, like Molly Shannon's character on that show, she becomes kind of an Oprah-like figure, like an Ellen type figure. She starts her own network, like her broadcast network, like her like Oprah network type thing. And so then they're picking other shows to be on the network. And then she needs a lot of security so she can't have a good life and things like that. So I think a good manager isn't just going to be like money oriented because she, she's an unhappy figure at the end, right? And then also like the manager, like Streeter, that character, the manager, he loses power. So like the kid, like the Justin Bieber type kid, Chase, doesn't. All he wants to do is be a singer. But the unsaid thing in the show or the kind of the hint is that he doesn't sing well. And there are all these pressures, but all he wants to do is sing. But they want him to like do commercials, be in movies, make money, be a celebrity, so they control who he dates, what he does. So I think a good manager like understands the pressures and can like talk to their talent intelligently about the trade-offs or the strategy. How much do you go into like life advice? Oh yeah, it's a huge, huge part of the job. You end up knowing people's families, their partners, their dating, their like everything about them, their health. It's a huge part of it with management. Agents don't know or care. Like an agent, basically, imagine there's an an opportunity for somebody to be a Marvel in a Marvel vehicle. So if the agent stands to make a ton of money from that thing, they're less concerned about like, oh, you have gut trouble. Are you sleeping? Okay. There's like, here's one to choose. Cancel your other projects. Take this big check. Thank you. Because they also want a good relation with the Marvel. But the manager is also thinking long-term about that person. So it's like, what's, what does this contract say? Is it restrictive? What do you want to do? What projects do you want to do? So talent often have other things they want to do. Or like, are they traveling too much? How's their voice? How's their health? You know? So, so that's a huge, huge piece of it. To close things off, Ruben, what advice would you give to a young person who wants to become a talent manager but doesn't know where to start? I think my top piece of advice is to really read a ton. It's like mortifying to me how little people know about stuff. Like read about management, read about, there's companies called Brillstein, like Bernie Brillstein was a famous manager. Read about that person, read about different managers historically or agents. There are tons of books. So read books, you know? Second thing is watch videos and learn. And then find artists who are anywhere near a circle and then learn a bit about their, about their thing. Like, how can I help you? What do you think about them? I'd be like, oh, like my merch sales don't work or I'm wondering how to augment whatever or like our email, how do I get email addresses or just find ways to add value. Ruben, it's been such a pleasure. I enjoy our, all of our conversations. I remember when we first met, I think via LinkedIn and like, 2017 or 2016 a long time ago 
And uh, I, you're such an interesting person. I, you have such a fresh perspective on so many different issues. And you are such an intellectually curious person. Your interests are, you're probably one of the more intellectually curious people uh, I've ever met. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. It's been a pleasure Thanks. to be Feelings are so mutual. I always love chatting with you. It always goes way beyond the time. It's always fun. I always wish it was more often. And uh, and I love I love your energy too and your curiosity. And I think you ask such good questions. And and you also aren't just coddling people. I think as you give advice, which I think is another piece of venture and innovation and media. And so keep doing it. And I'm excited for our next one. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ruben. Until next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of A New Wave of Entrepreneurship. Stay connected with us via our socials and through our email list. And be sure to subscribe to us in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our next episode. Have feedback on today's episode? Let us know directly in the app. Thanks again for listening and for joining the new wave of entrepreneurs. Till next time.